0: Welcome to the Wonderful Leaders Podcast, a place for Christian entrepreneurs and leaders to be encouraged and inspired to grow in your personal and organisational leadership. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful Leaders Podcast. And I have a very special guest, Ariana Walker, today. And Ariana is a pioneer, a sought after communicator author and leader with over 25 years experience in developing people leading teams and coaching individuals especially in the area of mental emotional and spiritual well-being she's currently the ceo of mercy uk which is a christian charity that runs a residential home for young women with life controlling issues as well as providing support training and discipleship resources to churches and individuals across the uk and europe welcome ariana
0: <laughs> well, that's a very nice intro, isn't it?
1: Oh, there we go. I you made, you'd feel good about yourself on a Friday afternoon. No, there well, we
0: go. Yeah, no pressure. You know, the whole it's even called wonderful leaders. So I'm a little bit like, oh <laughs> I
1: know. It's like I a know. bit of
0: expectation right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just just relax. The people that the listeners know me and know that I'm not a wonderful leader, so it's <laughs> fine. You're gonna do better than I would. So it's really cool to sort of chat a little bit before the recording and get to know you a bit. And I'm excited just to hear some of the journey and some of the some of what you're up to, because as we were saying before, this is quite a unique space that you're in at the moment. And I just think it's brilliant. So the first question we ask all of our guests is, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your leadership life looks like.
0: Oh, my leadership life. That's a good question. I think probably <laughs> diverse would be my Right. I'm quite an external looking CEO. So I've got quite an ambassadorial function, spending much of my time with kind of building relationships with donors, you know, it's a charity. So we, we need to have people who are, you know what we do and care about what we do enough to give us money. So I, I spend a lot of my time building those kind of relationships. So people trust that their money is going somewhere and doing what we say it does. Uh, I speak at churches and conferences and write articles, radio, TV shows, podcasts even.
1: Uh,
0: And then I'm involved in the sort of strategic direction of the team and future-proofing us and overseeing any new developments or uh, overall vision, um, troubleshooting. I've got an incredible team who make it possible for me not to be too operational. um, And I totally trust their ability more than my own, actually. (laughs) Uh, And so it means I don't have to be too involved in the day-to-day stuff so i'm really enjoying that i love kind of being out and about Uh, especially recently getting back out there has been exciting
1: yeah we'll talk a bit more about that later because when you say out and about that's that changed not the last 18 months but we'll come back on to that just taking a step back and sort of you you know we mercy uk is 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 an incredible ministry that you've been involved with now for 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 a, a while backstory How did we get there? You know, how did we, you know, I I, I know this, we're talking about leadership and that side of things, but what's been your journey into this ministry? So what started you on this journey of helping young women?
0: Yeah, well, you know, anyone who does what I do for a living tends to have a bit of a personal connection and and a why behind the what. Uh, and for me, it's it's my sister. And I. we're going back quite a long time now, about 20 years or so, uh, actually 1998, a couple of 22, 23 years. Uh, I'd been a Christian all my life, uh, you know, living a, a pretty normal standard Christian life with, with all the boxes ticked. Um, and yet there was something missing on the inside of me. I was looking for purpose. I wanted to be useful, to make a difference, to be part of something bigger than me. Um, and then I heard this woman uh, speak at my church called Nancy Alcon, who is the founder and president of Mercy Multiplied International. And uh, she spoke about this place called Mercy, this home that was transforming lives and restoring hope for young women with eating disorders and self-harming and depression and all these. Th- and she told a story after story of, of, of success and the way God was changing these women's lives. And literally, I felt like a fire just was lit on the inside of me. and it, And I was just I felt like burning all over my body, quite a kind of spiritual experience, actually. Um, and she got us all to stand. And I remember praying, raising my hand. I don't even know if I was supposed to, but I raised my hand and prayed one of the most dangerous prayers you could ever pray, which was, Lord, send me. If there's any way I can be involved in anything like this, then I want to, to do that. And I had in my mind at that moment, you know, nameless, faceless young women who I could be part of helping. And I didn't know... When I prayed that prayer that the first home I would ever open would be my own home. And the first young woman I'd ever help would be my own sister. Um, wow. that, that is That is kind of how it, how it started. I know that's very vague, but uh, my sister is 10 years younger than me. Uh, we were raised in a Christian home. She once, she was 12, started behaving differently. And um, by differently, my parents called it rebellion. They had no other framework. They were pastors. They were missionaries for a long time. So so, so they called it rebellion, but it was, you know, she, she's backsliding. She's in with the wrong crowd. She's uh, misbehaving. She doesn't want to go to church anymore. She doesn't believe in God. She's um, drinking. She's, so from 12 to 15, there was all these dysfunctional behaviors happening in her life. Uh, and when she was 15 was around this time that I'd been hearing about Nancy and mercy. And I'd had this whole encounter with God and my mum rang me not long after that saying, you know, your sister, your sister needs help. We don't know what to do. And we think if she maybe moves back to Bradford joins your church, because obviously we had a, a quite a big youth ministry uh, and, and gets away from this bad crowd that she's in. We think that could help her. We just don't know what else to do. Um about six weeks into her being with us it became really clear that she wasn't rebellious and she wasn't you know I I actually found and saw for my for the first time what brokenness looks like for a Christian Christian brokenness it looks different Wow. it came out that she'd actually been abused um sexually abused by a man who had met her in the local playground when she was 12 and for three years she'd been living in hell and nobody knew and she didn't know where to go with that. And all the behaviors that we thought were rebellion were in fact, brokenness. They were uh, coping mechanisms. They were ways that she could try and kill the pain inside. Uh, so yeah, it was it was something that then made me pick up the phone to Mercy in America and say, you know, my mm-hmm. sister needs help. She was living with us. She stayed with us for three years. So when she was 18, um, she, was able to go to Mercy and be the first young woman from the UK to be accepted onto the program in America. We hadn't had anything started here yet. Uh, we, we looked everywhere for something similar. You know, She didn't need a place that would just help her get free from the drugs. Uh, she needed a place where she could work out where was God when she, you know, it's different when you when you go through tough stuff, and then you meet Jesus, and suddenly your life is like, oh my gosh, Jesus can heal me, and He's fixed me, and you know. But what if you knew Jesus all along? What if when the bad stuff happens to good people, what? about when the suffering comes and when the trauma comes, and yet God has been a part of your life, your questions aren't the same. They are, where was He and why did He allow it and what you know why? Uh, so that's where she went with all that. To Mercy and Mercy is a place where those questions are a, a, a good place to ask them. God's really difficult to miss, and He answers them for Himself.
1: Wow, what an incredible story! And thank you for sharing that. That was really, uh, yeah, that was really amazing to hear. And, and 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 how did that how did that journey look? I suppose. And then secondly, is that so that was the springboard for you being involved with Mercy UK?
0: I would call it a catalyst for sure. Um, I had joined a small group of uh, volunteers, women in our church who said we wanted to, Uh, see something like Mercy established in the UK my pastor was really supportive of that he said I just need you to know our church is not going to do it if you want to do it we will help you but it needs to be its own charity its own ministry and that was very wise of him actually Uh, and we worked together with with Nancy and her team and over the period of about five years it was I mean Mercy doesn't exist without home and none of us had the Capacity to, you know, just buy a home for Mercy to use. Uh, it was very much miracle after miracle, and I often look back on that, and I know how important it is when you start something, when you are a pioneer of something um that you have the miraculous because when it goes wrong and when it goes gets hard and when it gets tough you need to be able to look back and go it wasn't me that started this it wasn't my idea it was God's idea it was his, it's his ministry his mission and he is the one who actually allowed it and made it happen because we couldn't have made that happen ourselves um and that's the story of mercy in the UK you know someone came forward at a conference heard uh, the vision of mercy that we wanted one in the uk and said i think i can help if you apply for funding we, we may be able to help you with a home and we did and they did uh, and the rest is history really
1: that's amazing and just quickly sticking on funding uh we may only because you mentioned this before the the recording started it was sort of your funding strategy is quite sort of unique and quite specific, isn't it? so <laughs> you shared... Yeah. Well, it's a crazy say... <laughs> business
0: plan. Any business person listening to this right now, please do not do this unless God tells you to. We don't charge at all for the residential part of what we do, which is the most expensive. It costs £20,000 for one young woman to go through our home. Uh, we don't charge her for that. Uh, we give 10% of all our unrestricted donations away to other churches and charities and ministries. Uh, And we don't take any government funding that would dilute the message of the gospel because we know that those young women's freedom and wholeness, that journey is entirely based and centered around Jesus and their relationship with him. So we need the freedom to be able to uh, say that and uh, lead them in that. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It absolutely 100% (laughs) needs miraculous provision. Uh, It costs around £1.2 million is our turnover at the moment. Uh, and all of that is raised through kind and generous people, uh, faithful wow. people.
1: Isn't that incredible? And, just, and how long have you been on this journey forward, Mercy UK?
0: It is, in fact, our 15th birthday this year. Whoop, whoop.
1: Um, so
0: that's when I officially started to lead the team. Um, but I have been involved from a volunteer, like when I first heard Nancy speak, I was five years before that. So it's over 20 years of involvement.
1: Wow. Amazing. That's brilliant. Now I'm going to shift gears then slightly, but I want to, you know, around some of the areas we've been discussing, I want to ask about, you know, the ministry is all about promoting freedom and wholeness and just some of those little nuggets you've said there. And I wish I was taking notes. Brilliant. But tell us a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your, I suppose, your perspective and your experience about emotional wholeness in the area of leadership. How do, you, how do you see that? How, what, what have been some of the, your, your experiences of that?
0: Yeah, I see. I mean, we, we lead from who we really are, not yeah. from who we want people to think we are. So who yeah. we really are really matters. I think the best leaders are safe ones, ones who are not necessarily kind of perfect in the way they do everything, but they're authentic. Um, and I think by that I mean that they don't construct a false I'm a great leader persona that they've read in a book somewhere or heard a podcast or quick tips to being a better leader. They, they And then try and copy those behaviors somehow. Um, what I mean is people who are genuinely authentically on a journey and are prepared to work on themselves first to lead themselves first uh, who are working on their imperfections, who create an atmosphere and a culture where there's an understanding that we're all on a journey um, that they're just, we're all trying to grow and change and mature. And and as a leader, I'm going to be the one to lead me and then, lead you not not the other way around and it's going to be the real me which means I have to apologize quickly when I get it wrong which means I'm constantly working out ways to be the best version of me uh, learning to forgive quickly learning to uh, communicate honestly and openly about my own weaknesses and my own strengths and my own personality type and taking the time to understand other people so that we can communicate better I think one of the things we teach our residents that mercy is that freedom and wholeness is is a journey it's a lifelong journey that we're all on together um there may be people ahead of you on that journey that you can learn from and gain from but no one is there yet no one has it all together right. so leading from that place i think is really important uh, for me certainly
1: fantastic that's no, brilliant and um, I love that. So just taking that a step further, one of the things I read is sort of you mentioned about cultivating healthy landscapes, both internally and externally. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean by kind of leading yourself, kind of leading from the inside out. Right. Um, you know, that that committed to cultivating that landscape. If you look at your garden, you, you have to pay attention to what grows there, uh, which means you have to be really deliberate about, planting things, watering them, feeding them, taking the weeds out. And I think we we have a responsibility to do that ourselves within the landscape of our internal being, and that is – Uh, we're tripartial. We, I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, Uh, you know, we're soul, we're body, we're spirit. We're made up of those parts and we are ultimately responsible and solely responsible for leading those parts of us. No one else does that for us. Our soul is made up of our mind, the way we think, our thought patterns, our emotions, how we feel and how we allow those feelings to determine our actions And also our personality that's in the soul area, the way we see the world, the the value we place on certain aspects, they're all caught up in the soul area. And we need to be people who learn to lead those areas of our souls well. Um, So many people I find don't have a good grasp on their own internal landscape. They don't commit to cultivating it. They don't know themselves that well. They don't know their own, uh, the way they tick. So, um, you know, I just think Committing as a leader to your own emotional well being, your own mind, uh, you know, taking thoughts captive, you know, renewing the mind, like it says in the Bible, and actually having the tools to do that, and then actually doing it. Um, you know, taking care of your body, self care, rest, health, fitness, uh, you know, being aware of the fact that, you know, I want to lead by example. I want to be somebody who uh, isn't, say, as I do as i say not do as i do you know so it's it's important to me that what we believe about healthy lifestyles is lived out in front of people
1: um can i just make a comment on that quickly it's just that i love what you're saying there and i think the other side of that coin is it becomes a trap because particularly spiritual leadership you're so busy inputting into people outputting into people you're so busy doing the work of the ministry, you're so busy doing a 1,001 things that your external leadership becomes so much bigger than your internal leadership a lot of the time. And unfortunately, my experience of what you're saying is I've worked under leaders that have imploded, and I've worked with leaders that have literally imploded from the inside because their internal leadership was haywire or non-existent, and actually that then comes right back to your fundamental relationship with Christ. It's like that time you spend in prayer, that Absolutely. time you spend in solace, that time you spend in silence, that time you spend in the word. Those things go out the window because you're so busy doing the do. Yeah. And I think what you're saying there is so helpful. And I think just as an encouragement to those leaders listening to this, listen to this part here. Because in my years of leadership, I think that cultivating your internal landscape is the key. To everything that you can, get you can Obviously. carry. Because the more you cultivate that, the more whole you are. The more you walk in in those radical truths, the more you can handle what the Lord has for you.
0: 100%. It's not
1: the it's not the other way around. It's not the bigger you get, the better you get, the better you speak, the more you polish your gift, the more you, you know, you're walking big doors. Leaders are obsessed with talking about opening doors all the yeah. time and yeah, all that stuff. And I'm not saying yeah. that's wrong. You know, I live in a I live in a visionary environment and a visionary culture, but that internal side of things is absolutely vital and i need to get off my soapbox now because i'm here to no i'm you. so
0: there with you I, <laughs> I do a whole training day on it because it's right a passion because we can talk about it but often people don't know how like yes. how do you do that like what are right. the, what, do, what are the practicalities of that and so I, I literally do a whole training day on it um and i and i've i've kind of drawn a bit of um like if you imagine a dartboard Uh, And the the bullseye in the middle, that's our being. So that's what I've said about being tripartial. You can split that little dot in the middle into our soul, our body, and our spirit. We are solely responsible for those three elements of ourselves. Even God doesn't actually do that for us. He doesn't, you know get our mind sorted we do that in partnership with him so we that's ours and then if you imagine the next ring around that that's where our resources our responsibilities and our relationships rest so that's how we then those are the things that touch us as a as a human intimately and directly so our our resources which is our time our money our passion our energy you know our vision all of that is is in our resources and then you've got your relationships which speaks for itself and then our responsibilities the things that we said we would do and achieve and that we're responsible to doing those those touches immediately and if we are people who lead ourselves well from that center point with christ in the middle there leading ourselves from the center, those three elements of our lives extended instantly improve, instantly become more stable, instantly become safer. And then you've got the outer circle of the wider sphere of influence, if you like, which is the people, that's where the people sit who know you, but you don't know them. So they're they're, they're your platform, they're your wider range of people who may hear your voice or your message or watch your leadership or maybe attach to you indirectly, Um, you know, who we do have ultimate responsibility for. They are safer too when those inner zones are taken care of I don't know if I describe it's hard to describe without a visual No, I was, was um, going to
1: say where can we book on this training day This is brilliant <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah I,
0: I, I'm working on it I, I this that's my own future kind of plans I've, I've got a little website going I really do feel actually called to spend a little bit more time Equipping and empowering leaders um in this area, because uh, you know I've got uh, you nearly know, 20 years of working with mental health and well-being and the psychology of of taking care of the, the inner world. So I, I do want to start being more deliberate and investing in individual people with that. So, but fantastic. that's fantastic. Yet to come. It's <laughs>
1: yet to come. We heard it here on the podcast first. You did. Right. I can't right. believe I've actually
0: said that out loud. That's the first time I've actually said that out loud. It's to
1: recorded. It's gonna go out. People are gonna hear. <laughs> it everyone's gonna ask where do, I, where do I sign up it, it's a done deal there we go that's no, brilliant I really that's fantastic I'm gonna segue slightly and ask a slightly different question just sort of um based on something you said earlier you know 2020 2021 with 18 months of disruption how's that kind of a big question but how not how's that been for you but how have you navigated that both as a leader in terms of the ministry but also personally how's that yeah. look for you
0: Let's um, start with personally. I think it was a really interesting time. I think early, early days when we were full lockdown and the whole world changed overnight, um, we had some big decisions to make as a, as a ministry, which we, we navigated with God very much at the center of that. He gave us some very clear instructions. I might talk about it in a minute, but for me personally, once the kind of initial uh, crisis response had died down, I found myself in a really interesting place actually, where you know weeks went by where I didn't get out my pajamas I was working from my laptop in my dining room um and it was all a bit it was interesting that I I, I suddenly realized that the year before had been probably my busiest year ever
1: right. I
0: was hanging on for dear life to God to to the, the demand was insane I couldn't start my day without on my knees going God if you don't turn up today I'm not going to make it if you don't come through for me I don't know what to do and th- there was just a number of massive things including a big injury in a ski accident having to and then oh I can't even go into it it'll take up all the time but basically there was this huge demand for me to be close to God because I, I genuinely don't think I could have done my life without it without him um, and that challenge and desperate need um, and then suddenly I remember one day waking up and going I don't need Jesus. I don't need him as much. Is that bad to say out loud? Like I don't (laughs) need Jesus as much. Like I, I I haven't actually needed him at all today. Right. And I, and I felt a challenge from him actually, that maybe I had relied so much on demand that I'd lost a little bit of the desire that my relationship with him was driven by need as opposed to want. Um, And then I've, And and I kind of, that was a bit of a shock to me. I'm like, actually, I think that might be true. And that I needed to change the motivator for me being with him and near him, um, that it was time to uh, dig deeper rather than hold on tighter. Uh, So that's kind of what I set myself to do was just actually learning again to spend time with him, not because I needed to prepare a message or because we had some disaster that needed to be navigated, but just because actually... He's my best friend and I, I want to be in his presence just for the sake of it. So it was definitely a bit of a Martha into Mary situation for me.
1: Wow. Well, that's excellent. That's really, really amazing to hear. And I suppose that kind of links back to what you were sharing before about working on those internals, that yeah. internal landscape, just going deeper and having some time to till the soil and just to go dig those roots a bit deeper, which yeah. I think is, which I think A is excellent and B, I've not seen every leader do that so lots of leaders just wait to try and get back to the way things were and get back to the same program and get back to the same business and now that we've lockdown's over let's just crack on 100 miles an hour and i come i sometimes think did we not learn did we not learn we were given a divine season yeah as as hard and as bad as it was and as much as there's been so much tragedy from the perspective of 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 our internals of who we are we were given a season that we're probably never going to have again when are we going to be able to get up and work in our pajamas and be at home and have a bit more of that? Yeah, I didn't do that. You said that, Um, you know, work at home and be able to do those things, which gives us a little bit more breathing space. And I think what you've said there is incredibly wise. And also I think maybe challenging some leaders Um, and in terms of the ministry side, you know, how did you yeah, navigate you know- that? Because you know, you're in a home and you've had, you know. You've, yeah, what we, those we had boundaries? all sorts of
0: things. Yeah. But there was lots of fear around our giving, like I did describe our crazy business plan. So, of course, we rely heavily on people's, individual people's um Giving every month, you know, some people give five, 10, 15, 20, 30 pounds a month. Um, and that's our bread and butter. We have obviously big events that happen. Well, we lost 40% of our income overnight as wow. a charity. Um, it, it disappeared every speaking engagement, every sponsored event, every marathon, every coffee morning, anything that was a gathering that would raise money for us was gone. So we were entirely reliant on the faithfulness of our regular givers. Um, and there was a fear early days that 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 everything would be impacted financially on people's personal finances that would then result in the giving less to charity and we were having to forecast you know a 70% reduction how do we you know it was it was pretty scary times early days I remember going to God about it Um, and I really felt him say you know that we've been mandated at mercy to help people navigate the rough terrain of their lives Uh, and if we can't help people navigate this then we've got no business doing what we're doing. Um, And we actually found ourselves not you know I was thinking do we do an emergency ask but God was like nope you don't ask at all you give you start ringing all your regular regular givers and you start doing well-being calls checking in with them how are they doing how can we pray for them how is their health how is their you know their anxiety levels were going through the roof and if there's if if there's anyone that can help you with that it's mercy that's what we do so this was our time and our season to actually fill the gap not to see our own gap and think we need help it's no no it's our time to help so we started getting quite inventive on how we could help people. And we went online. Uh, we did lots of our program became online. We did remote keys to freedom, which is our discipleship course that people can do from their own homes. Found a real new niche for that, where you don't need to go to a group. You have this eight week workbook called keys to freedom that you just do 20 minutes a day, five days a week, a pen a Bible, and Bible in the Holy spirit and off you go. And so we facilitated Brilliant. that online for hundreds and hundreds of people. I think over that First initial period, I think over six hundred people uh, entered into their keys to freedom journey with us remotely through email. Wow, um, was huge, and then we we managed to sustain the residents who all went home to their own homes by transferring the program onto. Zoom as much as we could. Still, it wasn't as good as it was in person, obviously, but it was better than nothing. And we've actually found ourselves keeping it in place now that the residents are back in the home uh, for those who are yet to come, who are waiting for a bed, and then those who exit afterwards that they can circle back around onto the Zoom to join in with the activities that are going on in the home. And that really helps the transition. Uh, Plus future-proofing, you know, we do think that we've got an opportunity to put an entire online freedom program together. That means um, all sorts of people can access it, not just young women aged 18 to 34 or so who can take six to nine months out of their lives. That's a very small number of people compared to the people that need help. Uh, So we're really excited about being able to increase our effectiveness um, and have learned that over this season. So for us, it's been challenging, yes, like everybody, but also surprisingly um, creative. <laughs>
1: yeah, excellent. And actually, sort of giving you a bit of a roadmap for the future in new yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. And just going back onto the sort of the, the leadership side of of the conversation. Um, I know my questions go from side to side a little bit, but um, Mercy UK is 15 years old now. Has your leadership had to evolve over that time? Has it changed? Has it shifted? How have you grown over that time?
0: Oh, absolutely has. You know, when you pioneer something from scratch, um, you if you don't change, you're probably going to end up killing what it is you're trying to grow. So, I would say that my leadership uh, journey has been quite organic, in the sense that in the beginning, I was kind of doing everything, you know, we all had, I was the wearer of many hats, you know, we would do a night shift one minute and then I was, you know, trying to raise money another minute and then I'm doing, you know, in a finance meeting the next minute. So you kind of do all sorts all the time because you're a small team, you're trying to get things, something off the ground. Um, But as we've grown over the years, um, I've had to learn those key leadership lessons of transition is a huge one. I think, especially if you've been doing the same thing for a long time, which I have, um, I'm not a CEO that's kind of gone into a CEO's role and applied for it and then taken, taken on a, an established organization. It's, it's kind of grown with me. Uh, and so transition and learning when to hand things over to people who are better than me at them anyway is a good lesson. Um, learning that it's okay not to know the answer to everything. I don't know what, what's going on all the time. Uh, learning to trust the team uh, and, and that they know what they're doing. Uh, and and just releasing myself a little bit from the responsibility of being everything to everyone all the time. Uh, So that's, yeah, Yeah. just finding that space.
1: That's brilliant. And I think that is such a key to long-term leadership, isn't it? Some of those things are really helpful. Just widening the the topic slightly, and and this is a question we ask all of our guests. This is a Women in Leadership series, and it's, it's great to hear your story. What are some of your perspectives or maybe even experiences of the challenges of women in leadership. The other side of that coin, what are some of the opportunities you see? Do
0: you know, I would say that all leadership has challenges, be it financial or relational, emotional, circumstantial, you name it. Leadership is in and of itself a challenging journey. Yes. Uh, I think for me, being a woman is just one of those challenges that I face alongside many, many others. And I treat it in the same way as I do every other challenge or obstacle. I, I don't let it stop me. Um, to be honest, I think there've been some major shifts culturally over, I would say, the last probably five years, which are impacting society as a whole. That mean the plight of the woman leader is changing for the better. Generally speaking, obviously, I can only speak generally. I'm sure there's individuals who would still say that things are the same, but I see change. Uh, and I'm looking across not just the Christian world now, but across the whole of society. I think that it's changed. The younger generation think differently uh, than we do. I'm 48, you know, I was raised in a di- under a different leadership style. Um, and I see a difference. Um, my goddaughter is 18. She is unapologetically fierce about the, about deconstructing the patriarchy, but she's got language and she's got knowledge. She sees things it, quick, Like and as an 18 year old, there's a, a tolerance. I mean, I always say what you tolerate, you'll never change. And I think the level of tolerance is reduced across womanhood, actually across society where what was okay then isn't okay anymore. I mean, it was never okay but there was a tolerance for it was an enabling of it. There was a kind of, well, we can't do anything about it anyway. Whereas now I see this fierce kind of resistance to uh, things remaining the same. Uh, And I love it, Uh, but I see it in my sons too. My sons don't think like the men of my generation think. They think think differently. They don't see uh, women as in the way that they were seen before. Um, and I, I do think that movement is gaining traction. You know, previously untouchable seats of power are, are toppling. Just look in the news, recent police commissioner who made the comments he did. Um, he's out of a job now yeah. within weeks. I, I remember a time when that wouldn't have even been reported, Yeah. where there would not have been. He could have said all those things and everybody would have gone, oh, yeah, great advice. Thank you for that. I must make myself, you know, more informed on the law because I want to keep myself safe. So there is a shift I'm seeing that is encouraging. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Excellent.
1: That's brilliant. That really does. And I think that's that's a great perspective and experience on it. I think that's that's really, really good. And, And actually, one of the things we haven't, unpack don't worry I'm not going to ask you to unpack it now but one of the things we haven't unpacked as much in the last while has been that sense of the generational shift and mm-hmm. you're absolutely spot on I mean I see it from many different perspectives and different things I'm involved with whether it's in business or digital or or in the church or in leadership there is a massive generational shift yeah and it's about maintaining those core values through the generation but letting them express themselves in a fresh way and I think that 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 sort of leveling of the playing field is, is hugely going to be a big part of that. And, yeah. um, and, and I think as Christian leaders, we've got to get that right. We yeah. have to get that right. We have to engage in that proactively.
0: Yeah. And I would say as a woman, I think it's important for us as women in leadership to recognize it and not to keep, you know, you need to not take a photograph of how it was. Right. And keep relating to people as if it's still like that. That's the danger I think that could happen is that we've been so kind of focused on, you know, it, the injustice of it, the unfairness of it, the prejudice and the way that the powerlessness that we have, it's not fair. So, so we, we kind of there, we've been there for a long time, some of us, um, if we're not careful, the world can move on and we can still be going on as if it hasn't changed. And I think it's changing. And, and, I, and I want to say that, I think it's changing.
1: Right. Brilliant. I love that. A couple more questions, Ariana, then I'll let you go. Okay. You've answered, you've kind of answered this, you know, as we've been going through, but I'm going to ask you, um, ask it directly. I mean, what are some of those leadership keys that, you know, those things that you hold on to in your personal life?
0: The biggest leadership key I've learned is to embrace my inadequacy.
1: <laughs> wow. Make right. peace
0: with it. Um, I think there's an innate habit we have as people to try and cover up our weakness and our failings and our insecurities and our inadequacies and the feeling of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I don't have what it takes. I, I learned a long time ago to actually make my peace with that part uh, of feeling out of my depth because I actually think it's where God wants me to stay. Right. Because it's never gonna be my adequacy or my worthiness or my skill or my talent that allows me to do what I do. Like I said earlier on, everything we do at Mercy relies entirely on his His leadership, on his provision, on his miracles. People can't put people back together again. A program can't put people back together again. It's impossible. It's only the Lord that does that. So learning early on that it's too big for me, this girl can't. Uh, which is kind of countercultural because we, you know, as women, we have that whole, this girl can, I'm a strong right. independent woman. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to be a strong independent woman because that puts way too much pressure on me. I don't have what it takes. I am so far out of my comfort zone on a daily basis. I need him to do it. I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. I need his wisdom. I need his protection. I need his ideas on what to do next. Um, You know, it's never going to be my gift or my talent or my brilliance that achieves any kind of success. So I'm just making it my mission to access his grace on a daily basis. (laughs) Um, You know, Paul says it in the Bible, doesn't he? I will boast in my weakness uh, because in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Now, we quote it all the time. But the reality of that is that we have to boast in our weakness. Uh, You know, how many how many people do that actually do that? genuinely from a place of, no, I, 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 need you to know. And I say this to my team often. I need you to know that I don't know what to do right now, but give me a day. I'm going to go and speak to the Lord and some wise people. And we'll come back to you. Um,
1: you know. <laughs> brilliant. I love that. No, that's very true. That's really excellent. And that, again, that, that breeds that attitude of humility and gratitude and, and that sense of it's not, it's, not, I can't do it, but I know he can, and he'll use me to, to, to do it. That's brilliant. Question then what, you know, with all the things you've experienced and all that journey you've been on, what kind of leaders have you looked up to or do you look up to or have you learned from, whether you know them or don't know them, past, present?
0: Um, do you know what? Probably the most influential leader has, has actually been my husband. Um not necessarily in his leadership of me, because well, <laughs> let's not go there. Uh, but <laughs> he's a different is, podcast. It's a different <laughs> podcast. He he's a CEO of a large housing association and he's a direct opposite personality type to me. Right. Um, he is inherently consultative, whereas I am inherently directive um I have to work really hard to listen before I speak to create a round table instead of a board table (laughs) (laughs) where where I sit at the head and tell people what to do he is we've been married almost 30 years now and and we've definitely rubbed off on each other and I so admire his intentional making of space for other people's voices around the decision-making table and I've seen the value of that outworked in my own organization as a result um I've also been really inspired by people like Brené Brown, who've communicated the values I so believe in and hold dear so much better than I ever could. And they've, she's really helped make those things more mainstream. And I think she's a right. great voice into everything we've spoken about in the last few minutes. So, yeah, my husband definitely, he, he's not going to hear this. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Your husband and Brené Brown, there's, there's two, That's two, it. That's two, two great super. answers. I like that, two opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, That's brilliant. Okay, so final question as we come to land. Looking back at your sort of your life and your leadership journey so far, what's that one piece of advice you would give your younger self?
0: Stop worrying so much. Right. You you know, just not meant to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. Just do what Jesus tells you to do. Hand him the load. Keep doing that. You'll be all right.
1: Wow. (laughs) Make that sound so simple. Right? <laughs> That's brilliant, Ariana. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and your insights and sharing your story. And if people want to connect into the ministry or they want to find out more about what you're up to, where can we signpost them?
0: MercyUK.org.
1: Brilliant, Ariana. Thank you again.
0: Nice to speak to you. Bye bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wonderful Leaders podcast. Yeah, yeah. To be part of the community, join our close Facebook group and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Simply look us up at Wonderful Leaders and
1: we'll see you there.